0: To Bell to Bell with Bobby Blaze. This is episode number 18. Top Ten Most Underrated Wrestlers. I am your host and stay-at-home space Viking, Jeremy Vilmer, and
1: now the star of the show, Bobby Blaze. Thank you, Jeremy. It's a pleasure to be here, man. I'm really looking forward to this episode of the most underrated wrestlers of all time. And who were you? The uh what was that? St- viking stay-at-home? Stay-at-home
0: space viking.
1: I like it. Me I like too. it, man. Yeah, that's pretty cool gimmick there, yeah. man. I'm letting my
0: beard get all big and bushy right now.
1: Oh, uh, God, how you stand that, man? Uh, you, you scratch a lot is what you do. Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I'm glad to be here, man. I'm glad the episodes have been doing really, really good. Appreciate all the fans out there. I do have a couple shout-outs, if that's okay. Yes, please do. Uh, I'd like to give a shout-out to the uh, Robin Slim Show. They had me on as a guest here the last couple of weeks. I was here uh, live last week, and they've rebroadcasted a couple of times. So shout-out to the uh, Robin Slim Show and also to uh, the Wrestling Scope. They sent us some information about this week's um, venue, we're going we to come from, Wrestling at the Chase. We're going to come to you from uh, St. Louis this week. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, uh, KPL. Uh, channel 11 there in St. Louis and some of the wrestling. We're not going to go into great detail about it but we kind of give some people the history of you know, the venues and things. They sent us a little documentary from about 1999. It's on YouTube still about the history of the wrestling at the Chase. So that that's interesting. So yeah, shout out to um, Robin Slim Show and also to the Wrestling Scope. And that, that's what I've got. This And also, Glad that hopefully all the people are now getting some power restored down there in the Carolinas. So, yeah, hopefully that's coming along, along with some of the other stuff that's going on in the world. Hopefully things are looking brighter for everyone nowadays. Yeah, I that's noticed.
0: Nice. I, I did notice that Tex isn't lugging around that uh, inflatable raft he had last week at <laughs> Bell to Bell Towers, so I'm, yeah. I'm thinking things must be better.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He fit right into that boiler room. I noticed it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah absolutely.
0: <laughs> yeah. So this week we are coming to you from the chase in St. Louis, Missouri. Bobby, why don't you tell us a little bit about it?
1: Well, you know, the thing is, I don't know a whole lot about it other than I can sit there and read to you off of, uh, Wikipedia or something like that. But, but here's the thing, you know, I, I'm going to go by just a little bit of things that I do know. Um, as I mentioned, the TV was, uh, WP or excuse me, KPLP 11 was a TV channel that had spectacular ratings. I know that. And I know it was, ta- of course, we're talking about promoter, uh, Sam Mushnick. Uh, Mushnick, I guess is how you would say it. But they all talked about all the wrestlers on the documentary I watched and some of the, the notes that I have. uh Some of the things that he was a great promoter, very honest man. But the thing about it was like they had a Harley race on there and and some of the people from the documentary, and I had, had read this, of course, and then I'm going to go into a little personal story. But the um, – there at the Wrestling at the Chase, it held about 900 people. And Harley Race talked about it more than anyone as far as – now, the commentator did too. But the uh, dressing, there's people that are really dressed up. They went tuxedos, and they went out in, you know, really formal dress wear. And they're sitting there eating and drinking champagne and watching professional wrestling. And it was um, it's just one of those things that, you know, you – Unheard of nowadays, people getting dressed up nice to go to a wrestling show. And so he put it all together. The the one thing that I do know is is on the documentary, uh, Ron Starr was on it. And and earlier in my career, Ron Starr helped me out quite a bit. And he had literally traveled all over the world. In fact, I was in Canada with him as well as over in excuse me, South Africa. And I, I don't think I've seen him other than one time in Atlanta in the United States when, when he was still living. Um, but here's the thing. The, he was always talking about these territories. You know, I told you about Portland. He told me the Piper story, and and he was telling me about St. Louis. And I didn't understand at that time, you know, that, that St. Louis was a wrestling capital of the world because I never watched it when I was younger. From that area, we never got that back in a regionalized TV, you know, television. But Ron was always talking about what a great territory it was to work. And of course, I've heard it from the other boys. But Ron kind of opened up about it. It had and it also had uh, the NWA credibility. Luthez helped, uh, from my thing, get the tie-in with Mushnick and the um, the hotel there uh, when they become affiliated with the NWA. I think it was originally the uh, St. Louis Wrestling Club, and uh, they may have had some different uh, other people coming through, but once they put that Chase Park Hotel, uh, that's where the um, – the the wrestling from the chase came from was from that hotel. And of course they had the TV station there too. So it really worked out well. And that's pretty much all I'm going to say about it is just that, you know, anyone can go out there and fact check it and look it up. Uh, my thing is this, I really would have liked to have been able to see some of the video uh, footage. They really showed a lot of matches on on the documentary, but it's only 45 minutes long. So it's one of the matches, only two and three minutes. Um, seemed like anyone that was everyone, Ever in wrestling came through that area, uh, the St. Louis area, and I would have liked to have wrestled there. I'd like to have went out. The closest I came to that, this was no by any means wrestling at the Chase, when I was first breaking in at Malenko's, um, Dory Funk Jr. He wasn't. He didn't have his dojo then, and he ran a professional wrestling show. And he he um, I guess Malenko had sent him sent all of us up there. He he what I want to say, sub or whatever, for a big convention in um, uh, Ocala, Florida, where Dory Funk Jr. Uh, resides at, and he had a big show... For a bunch of horse farm, uh, horse trainers, farmers, uh, what do you want to call them? Horse racers. It was a big deal, man. And everyone came, it was in a big ballroom. And it was a really first class deal. And Dory had several, you know, other guys besides Malenko's guys there. But it was one of those times that I recall in my career where I actually wrestled in front of a crowd that was sitting there in dresses, tuxedos, um, dressed up, I should say not in dresses, but dressed up the females, you know, gowns and, and, and ballroom attire. Tire, if you will, eating a meal. Uh, And it was a big, big horse. um, I want to say like a horse convention in Ocala, Florida. Maybe horse breeders. uh, That might be the best way to, or horse sales. But anyway, it was a big ado. And I, I, that's about the closest I come to wrestling. You know, most of the people I wrestle in front of, what the kind of fans you see today, you know, just people in t-shirts and, and girls even just in t-shirts or, or as we, you know, know, during the regional days, maybe less than a t-shirt, a little <laughs> bit more revealing. But anyway, yeah, so, uh, that's all I was going to say about the, uh, wrestling from the scope. Anyone can check that out and, uh, or wrestling from the chase, uh, uh, wrestling there in uh, St. Louis, Missouri. So.
0: Yeah. Sam Muchnick was a, um, President of the St. Louis, what do they call it, wrestling club? Yes. He was also the NWA president from 1950 to 1960, and from 1963 to 1975. Really, uh, you know, the establishing days of the NWA were pretty much guided by Sam Muchnick, so it's a, a big deal. So
1: home of the NWA pretty much, pretty right? Pretty much, St. Louis yeah.
0: I mean, it's, you know, if the president, because the NWA was founded in '48, he took over as president in '50. I, I would say that wherever he was, the NWA was.
1: Yeah, yeah. And on that special, from what I've seen, and just from us being fans, we know, like I said, anyone that was anyone came through there. Because on that tape, man, they had, you know, you know, obviously Harley Race, and Flair, and all those NWA greats, you know, came through there. Dory Junior, as I mentioned, it was just it was phenomenal talent that came through there.
0: Mm-hmm. So, well, and uh, apparently the WWE's first match with Hulk Hogan that Gene Okerlund was the announcer for. Was at the chase.
1: Uh, I kind of thought that's funny because I think have you? I, I could be wrong on this particular one, but Harley Race was running still over in there when a the WWF first came, and I guess he was at another venue across the river. I don't know if it's Kansas City, St. Louis, in that area, but one of those areas before. Uh, race went to the WWE eventually. WWE, he approached him. He'd come into the locker room. They all knew him in a building, of course, and everyone mm-hmm. thought he was going to slap the shit out of Hogan or something. There's a story to that. someone who shoot interviews by Harley uh, about what his first run is with Hogan early on when uh, WWF back in the day tried to run uh, the St. Louis area. Um, and, again, that could be the Kansas City area, but, nonetheless, there's a story out there. Check it out, and I, I find it really interesting, those behind-the-scenes things when – before Vince actually did take over everything, you know, there's still those little... And NWA was strong, and I guess Harley was still... You know, he had a big investment out there, you know, from what he said on the video. So it's, it's pretty interesting. But you all can fact-check all that stuff. Uh, with that said, Jeremy, unless you have anything more to add about wrestling at the chase, let's, uh, let's move on if you don't care.
0: Yeah, let's go ahead and... Well, okay. I, I do want to say one thing real quick. Yeah, that, please do. Um, They have announced Cody Rhodes' uh, first opponent for the NWA title,
1: Oh, and, yeah.
0: And it's Willie Mack who wrestles for championship wrestling from Holly. He's actually their, their champion in uh, championship wrestling from Hollywood. I believe he also wrestles in Lucha Underground. It's okay. going to be on an ROH show. So the NWA champion will be facing a opponent from outside of the home venue's promotions own uh, promotion will be facing a wrestler from outside the company. for the NWA title. And I think that's starting to feel a little bit like the old territory days, isn't it?
1: That's what I was going to ask you. Is this, I think you called this and I hope it holds true. Are you talking about a traveling, Championship belt that goes from territory to territory. Um, even though there's not a territory per se right in there, they're, they're starting to work at these venues with other companies. So that, from what I understand, you're telling me we'll have a traveling title with the, with the champ, right? That's
0: the way it's looking to me. And I guess. Oh
1: man, let's keep our finger crossed, yep. us and fans. And
0: I guess they're about to drop the new NWA national title pretty soon with plans to do a women's title and a tag title not too distant in the future as well.
1: Okay, cool. Thanks for that update, man. I appreciate that. That's awesome.
0: I just wanted to get that out there to everybody because I haven't been excited about wrestling in a long time, and now I am.
1: Yeah, right on, man. Um, That's good. It's good. It's good to be a fan. It is. You know, we, sometimes we peak and we valley in those things as wrestling fans. But, man, when something good's happening, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, it works in cycles. It seems like that cycle's coming back around for professional wrestling, man. Yep. And that's sort of upswing. I like that. So yeah, me too. I'm,
0: I'm really good excited deal. about that. Uh, all right. With that said, let's move on to the top ten underrated wrestlers.
1: Yes. With that said, I want to say this. We have respect for all these, uh, guys on our list. We, I wanted to make sure we was heading in the right direction with our list. So when we first started off, we, obviously we get about, you know, 15, 18, 20 people. We do a process of elimination, Jeremy and myself. So just so people know, you know, we know there's not just our 10 and our 10 doesn't have to be the correct 10. So with that said, always there's some people that don't make the list and, um, of our top 10. But it's because we, we said, well, we'll go this way. We'll choose uh, a regional person. Well, obviously, all of, other, well, you know, all of these guys are interna- national, international. we yeah, take yeah. that back. But on some of these guys. Anyway, with that said, here's a couple of mine that I had from the fan back on the hashtag BBBB on our Bell to Bell uh, Blaze uh, Twitter feed. And that was um, I had a lot of people wrote me about almost everyone had several minor on their list, one combination or another. But there was made mention of Buddy Rose. They thought he was underrated and I can agree with that. He was that lean, mean 217. You know, that's, of course, when he got up there to, to doing the TV for New York. Yep. But also another one I, I really thought had all the talent in the world and then he just kind of, um, I don't know what he did. He just kind of kept ballooning up in his weight and that was Adrian Adonis. And I don't know, uh, you know, if he had some health issues or what happened on that or if he just couldn't take care of himself, because at one time you know he had a he was a legitimate tough guy, and he had that great look about him. And he was uh, on his own for a while. Then, of course, he tied with uh, uh, Jesse the Body yep. Ventura and those things. And he had that that damn tough, tough look to him, man. And of course, his character went a different direction eventually. But he was always underrated, as far as I was concerned. As far as a one of the guys that you know that still got a good push, and they worked in those territories, and they went to New York and done pretty good. But still, we're just kind of heading that direction. That's just kind of letting people know where where some of our Thoughts came from of guys that we thought, you know, were underrated. And I think you might have one or two on there. Oh, too. yeah.
0: Well, and this one, this one's uh, because our buddy Texas went through some rough times and he's always putting a guy out there that doesn't make the cut or we forget or whatever. But the mass superstar is somebody yeah. that doesn't get talked about a whole lot that we'll have to revisit and come back to. And we and, will. Yeah. And uh, so he he would be on my list, and also, of course, he won't let me put him on this episode because I put him <laughs> in every episode, but Tully Blanchard and Rick Rude didn't make the cut either, so I am a little heartbroken today, but I'll get
1: by. <laughs> yeah, you'll make it because they will make every other damn list. <laughs> and I usually, I'm usually right there with you. Oh yeah. But yeah, uh, uh, Mass Superstar, what a tremendous talent he was. He had a really good interview. He is one a, of a really big men. You know, he could really move for a big man. Of course, he was trained by Malenko, and at one time he was actually uh, managed by Malenko. And I saw him. I worked with him up in West Virginia a couple of several. I don't even you know, maybe a year ago, we'll say. I couldn't even tell you. Then I saw him back in May at the uh, retirement show I was at, and uh, i got some pictures somewhere I'll try to dig out if uh demo man out there, if he'll ever send them to me, but I've got some pictures with him. Super nice guy for a superstar, you know, but he is always one of those guys that just, like you said, underrated. But um anyway, with that said, uh, do you have any more that people sent in? Because there was a lot that people sent in, but some of them were already on our list, if I'm not mistaken. Well, yeah, we got a we...
0: The listeners threw a lot of names at us. Here, here's kind of the nice thing is, you know, five, six, seven months from now, we can do 10 more underrated wrestlers and come back and revisit other people. That's kind of the nice thing about doing the list is there's always a way to expand, uh, you know, expand on it or come back and take another bite at the apple. So if, if your suggestions didn't make it this time, I'm sure they're going to be in an episode in the future. Just keep reminding us. And, uh, Bobby, before we get started, why don't you throw out all our Twitter handles to everybody so people know where to find us.
1: Okay. You can find Jeremy at the Geekish Cast on Twitter. You can find me at at Bobby Blaze 744 on Twitter. And we have a joint account and it's bell to bell blaze and that's on Twitter. And that's our uh, joint one. And usually if uh, Jeremy, I notice that if he sends an answer to question, he'll sign it Jeremy and I'll sign it Bobby. So you'll know which one you're talking to. But a lot of times we share those on either Jeremy's the geekish cast or mine at Bobby Blaze 744. We try to use the hashtag, uh, BBBB but if you don't that's okay if it gets to us we'll we'll see it you know one way or the other Um, just you know let us know that you, you know we've got a Jeremy's actually one let me take my hat off to him and tip my hat to him one or the other uh, or both I'll just take it off and tip it over I don't know yeah. but uh, yeah he's got over 1100 people just you know that's a grassroots uh, podcast is a grassroots page and that's all you know just uh, uh, good wrestling fans following us and we appreciate it man and we do appreciate your feedback and we do take uh, listener suggestion. we've done a couple Program where people's written us at the Cast or written us at Bobby Blaze 744 or on the Bell to Bell Blaze podcast um, uh, shit Twitter page there and and we've taken our ideas for some you know different suggestions so please feel free to interact with us and as Jeremy said earlier if you're Guy, your man, your most favorite professional wrestler that you thought was underrated doesn't make this list. And again, this is episode 18 of the bell to bell with Bobby Blaze podcast. If you're, if your guy doesn't make it for the most underrated wrestler, there's a chance we'll do another list in the, in the future. You know, who knows? It could be, you know, six months or a year from now, but hopefully we're still doing good business by then. And, and, uh, we'll get back to some of these guys. With that said, Jeremy, let's start off with our. With all due respect to all these guys we're about to mention, let's start off with the uh, top ten most underrated professional wrestlers of all times on the uh, Bell to Bell with Bobby Blaze podcast.
0: All right. Well, with number ten, I'm going to come in with Mike Awesome.
1: Uh, I think that's a great entry for number ten.
0: Yeah, Mike was six foot six, 292 pounds. He moved like a luchador. He, the guy, dove and a f- high flyer. He was pretty incredible to watch. And the thing is, you often forget about his Japan days or his early ECW days, and the guy, for such a big man, could move. Yeah. It was it was really something to see, and it gets overlooked, it gets forgotten about. Yeah. He was a multiple FMW champion, from uh, brass knuckles to six-man tag to uh, independent champion. He worked all over Japan. Did you know, and I didn't know this, that when he joined WCW, he was still ECW champion?
1: I was there, actually. So.
0: Oh, you were? That's right. Yeah. 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 yeah.
1: Yep, i I, di- I didn't realize he was still a champion until you know I tell you're back then I was traveling so much with the this and that, and I have a couple of things to add about Mike, but yeah, I didn't even pay a fucking attention to those titles and stuff honestly, I hate to tell you, that, but I didn't so <laughs> you know until a couple years later i you know when just things start popping up and this comes up and You know all that. I didn't know that, and you just now reminded me of that fact. You know, but yeah, I was there. Here's the thing about uh, remember about Mike. First of all, Mike was a super good, nice guy to me. Uh, For whatever reason. Uh, he and I was training. Uh, we had different people down in Florida. Uh, he was training with Steve Kearns and the people were there uh, at the championship wrestling. And I was at the Enneagram Sports Complex on Sundays, and I wasn't on the shows then, but I was going to them every Sunday at the time right outside Orlando. And I saw this big, strong guy, man, and he was working some of those shows. But I could see how raw he was because I was training. And um, we'll say a few months went by when I actually moved down to Tampa. And, uh, again, I'd see him on the uh, – at the sportatorium there, and I thought, man, this guy's has got a lot of raw uh, ability. And one day he come over to, and I always spoke to him, just the boys being car- courteous to each other mm-hmm. kind of thing. But one day he come over to Malenko's, and uh, he actually, you know, got in a ring. And uh, man, I showed him like a top wrist lock and how to turn it to a hammer lock, just little things. Again, very professional, super nice guy, just a big old strong guy. And uh, we always just took a liking to each other and wished each other well. Of course, I kind of followed his career, knowing the uh, FMW days and the, and all those type things and ECW, et cetera. And I didn't see him again for many years until showed up at WCW and he was there. Um, at that time I was slacking off and he was coming on because my travel schedule with them, my contract was getting ready to end when he was, when he was coming in and he would, uh, Horace Boulder, uh, uh, Hogan's nephew, Mm -hmm. they were really good friends. They were cousins. uh, Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. That was nephew, uncle, nephew, right? If I'm not mistaken. And, um, anyway, Horace was always good to me as well. And, uh, several times I found myself standing in the back uh before mike was getting his push in ECW or shit uh, WCW there and and I knew them both from Tampa and a lot of time we just stand around talking of bullshit we honestly talked about baseball in Japan quite a bit and baseball in Japan for that matter so uh yeah number two. I, but I always did think what a big strong guy good look to him he could work. He could, you know, do the dives like you said, and nothing but respect for him. But I always thought he was number, or I always thought he was underrated, and put him at number ten with the list we've compiled today, I think that's a great place for Mike. So yeah, uh, pass off to Mike Awesome. You know, may he rest in peace. Hopefully, he's in a you know better place than, than where he was ended up at here. But man, he was just a, to me just a super great guy, man. I, I really liked Mike a lot.
0: Yeah, apparently, because I just discovered the thing about him being uh, distantly related to the, the Boulders, Bolias, Hogan's. He always suspected that his fat lady thriller and that 70s guy booking was <laughs> maybe because he was related to the Hogan's after the fallout between Vince Russo and Hogan. That could very well be Yeah, Because yeah. you know, I know
1: he didn't come in that way.
0: No, you know? no, and Hurt so. feelings
1: run deep, you know.
0: Yeah. 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 So. so, yeah, Mike Awesome comes in at number 10, and I think he is a great spot.
1: I do too. What do you open up the show with it? Yeah.
0: Uh, coming in at number nine, Dustin Rhodes. I, okay. So I know he's over his gold dust. I know he's been yep. over his gold dust. We're talking about Dusty Rhodes' son here. Surely there was a way to have Dusty Rhodes Jr., Dustin Rhodes get over without being a camp gay, gold painted, <laughs> uh, gorgeous George, Adrian Street ripoff, right?
1: Yeah. Oh, I agree. I saw him at Championship Wrestling Florida again, once again, right around the same time period, training down there and going to the shows on Tuesday. I'd already moved down to Tampa at that point from Orlando. And I'd see Dusty just about every Tuesday he was booked. If he wasn't, it was every other Tuesday tall, lanky back then, mm-hmm. but he had that look. You know, his promos weren't the greatest back then, but it didn't have to be at that point, because, you know, look who your dad is. Yeah. And that's not a dig towards Dustin any, at any point, am I making that dig? I'm just saying, I, I just saw a really a lot of raw, a uh, lot of t- natural talent and ability, and again, if he had a weakness back then, his interviews, but he, look who he's following, you know, and they had guys like Coach and DDP and and uh, uh, shoot, uh, Buddy Colt, and, and those guys doing the announcing that there, so I mean, They had good people, you know, working with them and things. So, yeah, Dustin, but now it's been about three years. I went to a WWE show, and I went to back up in Charleston, and and of all the people – Scotty Armstrong and, and Charles Robinson were the ones that were my connections. And and I don't throw those connections around loosely. I don't just get anyone tickets or anything. And I don't take advantage of the guys when they come to the area because I know they got a job to do. But Charles told me, he said, Bobby, you're not going to hardly know anyone on this car tonight. And it ended up doing who I actually knew very well was Kane. And and of course I've been in Smoky Mountain with him and knew him when he was first breaking in. But uh Dustin was the other one. He's the Dustin of Beyond he's back here eating. And um and of course Dustin and I sit there and spoke for probably 15, 20 minutes or whatever. But yeah, um I agree with you as Dustin Rhodes, man, he just never got that push. Uh but man, I mean, I know gold dust got over, I understand that. But yeah, you're thinking you're the son of Dusty Rhodes, uh, We've done a whole special on him. You know, go back to episode four of the Belt to Belt Bobby Blaze podcast. This is our most popular fucking episode out there, man, with a lot, a lot of listens on it. But, yeah, Dustin, just a a very talented guy, good body, could talk, do whatever, you know, Um, just underrated as Dustin Rhodes.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, you know, a lot of these guys, we're not going to know why they never really got over in a way that seemed to fit them. So Dest- Dustin Rhodes is just a mystery to me. But again, he did really get yeah. over his gold dust. It just it seems kind of a, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, you
1: know. I just thought of but You said that, I agree. He was, he was on Howard Stone. He was doing that barking gimmick. You know, I mean, but that's this gold dust. You got yeah. shocked or something, but it's like you know, you're thinking like you said earlier. That's Dusty Rose's son. You would think, how did he not get over as you know, may, you know, you just go off a different direction? Who 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 knows? With that said, um, we're going to go into number eight, and I think we do know some of the reasons why this person mm-hmm. uh, wasn't as over as he could have been, or as underrated as he as we have him on our list. And and my heart goes out to this guy because I knew him very 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 well. And 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 if you do any fact checking at all, we're not gonna, I'm not gonna say I know Jeremy's not the kind of person either. We're not gonna say anything about this next person that he hasn't already said about himself. But he's none other than the nature boy Buddy Landell. What a great talent Buddy Landell was. He was but a great, underrated.
0: Yeah, great talker, great, great worker. But, you know, kind of like you were intimating there, you know, he really was a self inflicted gunshot wound of losing push. Yeah. He was booked to win the title at one point and blew that off. You know, it, it's a shame. Um, you know, it's sad to see people in this position because he's one of those guys who could have really, really been big. Hell was big. You know, yeah. I say, oh, yeah. really, what it was big. It just the, the he had shit in his way, and it's it's unfortunate. Um, and it's kind of he's one of those guys, and we'll get to another one later. You know, like music musicians love bands like Rush and Kansas and uh, uh, Dream Theater, and they're really bands for musicians. Buddy Landell is one of those wrestlers, wrestlers. Yeah. People in the business and people who like like me kind of you know try to dig in as much as we can but aren't in the business. Guys like Buddy Landell stand out because he's one of those little hidden gems, you know.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Man, I could tell you so many Buddy Landell stories, but I won't go into you know a lot of them. Uh, I wrote about them in both of my books, and um, there's your cheap plug for mm-hmm. Pin Me, Pay Me, and also I kicked out on two. Available at,
0: you know, at tinyurl.com slash blazebook1 and tinyurl.com slash
1: blazebook2. There you go. Mm-hmm. Thank you. See? With that said, uh, Buddy that was one of the matches I spoke about last week. I was in the ring with him and, and, uh, hadn't been properly trained all the way. And he put me in a ring to promote it with him and against, uh, Hector Guerrero and, uh, uh, boogie, woogie man, handsome Jimmy Valiant. And buddy and I went out there and that was the first time I met him. And then I, after that, I took off to Florida, because I got kind of smartened up, and I took off to Florida. But I had always been a Buddy Landell fan. I was catching the tail. I, of course, I saw him in Memphis some, but I was catching the tail end. You and I was talking off air um, on Continental at the time. And then several years later, I got to work with Buddy at Smoky Mountain. And I was always one of his fans, you know. And uh Buddy and I had, we, to some degree, was a little bit alike um but I always had respect for Buddy, and I think Buddy ought to respect for me. One of the funniest stories I can tell you, and I'll just do this real briefly, because I don't want anyone to take anything. Uh, think I'm speaking Ill of the dead. Rest in peace, Buddy. But we, we had our ups and downs, and, and we always worked through them. One day I was, I, after my book came out, and I wrote something very nice about him in, in Pin Me, Pay Me, about the title run, and, and I just told the truth, you know. And, and that's, that's straight shoot. I just wrote it like it happened. And, and Buddy had written me a letter. Um... And went through social media let's just say that and we had corresponded and and also buddy had been trained early on by a great malenko back in the day he you know he was living with uh i think bob work jr was dating buddy's sister There's the whole story there but anyway so dean malenko knew that i had oh you know, well, yeah i wrestled with buddy and he asked how he was doing i mean it's way back when so fast forward to a few years ago and and I, buddy's I, I i sent him a, a little clip of what i was going to put in a book about him and he he liked it. And then when a the book came, I sent it to him. He wrote me a really, really nice letter. And he said, I love it. I friggin love it. And depending on when you got a hold of Buddy, if he was using the F word or friggin. Uh, but, yeah, he was in one of them things. So what happened was the funniest thing I tell you real quickly is uh, he wrote me this really, really nice letter. And me being a smart ass that I am. Uh, I said, thanks, uh, so kind, and I said, Buddy, thanks, you know, those words mean so much more to me. I was a little bit depressed at the time, but I, I try to stay upbeat, but I was like, you know, and so Buddy says, I, we're writing back and forth over a couple week period, and he says, um, he's, even Joe Malenko got involved in part of the conversation, but then Buddy writes me a thing and says, God always blessed me by putting me in a ring with such top talent as yourself, Bobby, something of those lines, And, of course, Buddy is real sensitive to the God issue. And if anyone is, I'm not meaning to offend anyone, but I'm just going to tell. I said, so God put you in there for a lot of talented people like myself. And I said, I said, huh? Okay. I know it's his buddy, so what the fuck? I said, yeah, buddy, that's great. I said, my problem is this. I said, I thought Jim Cornette put you in there with me. He's a fucking booker. <laughs> <laughs> buddy immediately come back with some heat. I come back with his heat, and i like, fuck you if you can't take a joke. And we was right back to where we used to be at. So we went to, yeah, I just said, you know, he said, God always put him with the you know the best talent, which I took as a great compliment. and I said, oh, I thought it was Jim Cornette, but whatever. You know? yeah. So That's my last little Buddy Landell story that I'll tell you, real, you know, because you you can read about some of them in the books like we already plugged but buddy was one of those guys like you said just a tremendous talent that was underrated but pretty much by his own demons and his own admissions
0: oh yeah um i did find out that buddy i don't know which governor did it but he was declared the most influential wrestler from kentucky by governor decree um you know you're, you're in you're in kentucky you're in kentucky aren't you
1: Fuck you, buddy. God damn, still getting over on me. I'd like to know which governor it was. Jim Cornette's from here. Fucking Muhammad Ali's from here. George Clooney's from here. Fucking, for Christ's sakes, Billy Ray Cyrus and Bobby Blazer from fucking Kentucky. What the fuck? Buddy's from Tennessee i like to know what Governor rat
0: was. Yeah, we'll, we'll look into worry. it more at a later
1: date. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love Buddy and I miss him, but, you know, hey, it's just one of those things, and, and he was underrated. He comes in at number eight on our list of the uh, most underrated wrestlers of all time. Rest in peace, Buddy.
0: That's right. And uh, number seven, this one might be kind of controversial with some people. It's Sean Waltman, Xbox six, one two, three Kid. Call him what you will. We'll just call him Sean for now. Okay, so there's a thing called X-Pac Heat. I know about it. I've heard about it. But what people forget about Sean is he was a good fucking wrestler.
1: Yeah. We broke in together. He was one of the first people I met when I went to Malenko's. We actually roomed together on quite a few weekends. We traveled together, and we actually trained together my very first day until the last day when he left, he moved to Minnesota at some point, And then I moved back to Kentucky. But, um, I do think and I'm, I'm not going to say a whole lot of Sean's stories. Uh, he and I still speak on a pretty regular basis, uh, via telephone and via text, uh, not just social media, but, um, I'm just going to say this and I'll let Jeremy talk a little bit more about him. And that's, uh, Sean to me, he was a tremendous talent. He, but even though he got over on different levels, I still think he was underrated. And, and so you go ahead and finish that out if you don't care because well, I don't need any disrespect. Back to sean but he definitely to me and we agreed upon he he's on his list as controversial but he was underrated
0: yeah he was absolutely underrated i think uh, he gets a lot of blowback for being with the quote-unquote click i think mm-hmm. a lot of i think a lot of shit that should have splashed on all of them all all splashed on sean is what it seems like a lot of times when you, you talk to other fans like they're cool with nash and hall but they're kind of shitty towards sean waltman you know, this guy, he held the WCW Cruiserweight and WWF light heavyweight title simultaneously. I did not know this. Oh, I didn't either. Yeah, I did not know that. I don't know how it worked out. I'm going to dig into that a little bit further because I'm always interested in double championships when they happen, what, what is seemingly by accident. That's also why I brought it up with Mike Awesome because yeah, yeah. he was ECW champion at WCW and then turned around and lost it to Taz, who was working for the WWF at the time. <laughs> that kind of stuff always just kinda of twerks my brain a little bit. So I, I I'm gonna dig, yeah. yeah. I'm gonna dig into it. Yeah, I just Sean was a hell of a worker. Whatever was going on between him and the crowd, I think just gets in the way of people seeing it. So yeah. he's definitely underrated. He moved fast. That leg drop that he used looked like it hurt like a son of a bitch. And I think leg drops are stupid you know (laughs) yeah he could talk shit he could get heat uh sometimes the wrong kind of heat i just i'm going to say that x pac sean waltman number seven definitely underrated as a wrestler
1: right on yeah i agree with you on that so with that said let's go to number six a good friend of mine uh from the fantastics bobby fulton Uh bobby to me has always been one of the most underrated guys ever that guy could work his ass off he like five foot fuck all um you know he, i don't even know he's like five seven to five nine maybe man he the stuff he'd done and, and he started off you know at a young age of 17 and he he worked all over the world literally all over the world um He's just, and he's a really, really super good, nice guy. Uh, We used to call him Captain Nervous. JYD used to call him Captain Nervous on his shows he used to promote. He helped me get one of my first, uh, Pretty much put me in contact with Cornette after I had made contact with his late partner, uh, Tommy Rogers, who was, again, another you know underrated guy back in the day. Yep. But Tommy helped me with Cornette, and then Bobby kind of was in between because I worked on Bobby's shows, and Bobby gave Jim the word, you know, hey, hire this guy if you get a chance, or at least give him a tryout, you know, because Jim's going to do what he's going to do, and he ended up hiring me. But uh, Bobby, man, you know, the Fantastics, they were over everywhere they went. Uh, they could work their ass off, do just about anything you want them to do in the ring. And but they drew tremendous money out there in Mid-South. They drew money out there in Dallas. Uh, I mean, and then, of course, he, he just, they was huge in Japan for that Japanese style. I've seen, uh, I've saw, have seen uh, tapes, and I think it was about two years ago, because I, I didn't know this took place, and I found it, and I watched it, and I was actually going to be seeing Bobby that following weekend. I just sent out a text we was actually going to travel together, and um, I watched the Malencos against the Fantastics in Japan, and it was fucking awesome, I didn't even know it existed, and that's been a couple years ago I think we was heading to a show in Madison, West Virginia which I'll be talking about in the future here coming up but Bobby was like, uh, he texted me immediately back, I can't believe you found that and I'm like, yeah man, it was just and I complimented him, and, and as the boys do sometimes, and Bobby's just a fucking underrated wrestler. Uh, he could have easily been in a top five once we do get into our f- top five, but I'm gonna let you finish out that he's, he's number six is Bobby Fulton. Apparently, you know, I, I just, I went in, uh, through YouTube looking for just
0: different matches of his at, you know, as part of the Fantastic, except more recently because Bobby Fulton just retired from in ring work.
1: Like, yes. Like back just, in May.
0: yeah, like just a couple months ago. Right. Um, One thing I did notice, I didn't count them, but I kept seeing that the Fantastics were in a lot of scaffold matches to the point where I think Bobby Fulton spent more time on a scaffold than a house painter.
1: (laughs) Well, Bobby Fulton also on his shows... Where was the king of the gimmick matches? Something we talked a little bit about last week <laughs> in the Blindfold Battle Royals. Yeah. So yeah, I could see that him being in this. I could see him volunteeringly saying, "Y'all, I'll be in it. and What can I do? You know, uh, what can we do for his next angle? Oh, a scaffold. That sounds good." <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, so I didn't. So, yeah. I didn't He's a hard know. Bob-
1: too. Yeah, I didn't yeah. know
0: Bobby Fulton real well. So what I do know about him is stuff I picked up from other podcasts and then going back and you know reading bits or trying to find matches on YouTube. That's one thing I can say you can pick up about him right off the bat. This guy works in his sleep.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh man. We was in Columbus one time. He used to do a show. It was uh, uh it was an outdoor show. It was uh in this neighborhood, less desirable neighborhood, but these the the businessmen there would pitch in and they'd do a wrestling show as part of this little carnival out in Columbus, Ohio. And man, one one has every like late July, early August and they ran it every year, and Bobby, you know, he had it, the big-time pro wrestling production, and man, we were out there first match, Bobby used to do his thing, he did a lot like Dallas, and Rip Rogers wanted to smart me up to it, uh, that's where Bobby got the idea, he'd run a smaller card, so the first match would be a tag team match, or excuse me, a singles match, and then the babyface would get cheated by the heel, which would be me, and then that would lead to what's called a captain's match, and then we'd have like uh, two matches, then a gimmick match, and then he'd have, like, like I said, JYD or Ron Garvin or someone would come in, and then... It'd be Bobby and whoever the other baby face was. And it'd be me as the heel with, with whatever heel it was. So the captain's match, the first match always set up the captain's match. Mm-hmm. And so he did that in Dallas with small crews of eight and 10 guys and a referee, you know, so, uh, Rip was one to say, Hey, Bobby got that from, from down there in Dallas. You know, that's why he runs these shows with just eight of us, you know, and we was always appreciative sure of work because I was one of the eight. But anyway, we was out there. It's fucking a hundred degrees, man. And we're out there and at that time I weighed about 225, 230. I wasn't overly heavy, but I was, you know, starting to get a little bit heavy. Bobby's out there. He's probably 200, but he's starting to get a little bit heavier. You know, we're a little, we're close to the same age, give or take a couple of years. And there's a couple of young guys sweating balls back or in the tent. And, and, and one of my brothers had went to the show and and he he's like look how we went 20 minutes we just want to do that you know straight through 20 minute thing for the captain's match and the guy said to my brother look at them fat fuckers out there uh he said it's 100 degrees out there and they're fucking working for 20 minutes and i'm sitting over i got seven percent body fat and i'm blowing up after two or three minutes in the match you know and so uh, my brother told me at intermission so i went back and it's got uh, I won't mention a wrestler. Uh, so anyway, he, I know him. I haven't seen him for quite a while. He'd be a good guy, but I walked up to him after a mission. I said, Hey, and he said, yeah, I said, you know what that is? I said, that's fucking called working. Learn it. <laughs> and he goes, huh? And I go, I don't care if you got 7% fat or not. I said, it doesn't fucking matter. I said, it's called working. You know, the only reason Bobby and I even broke a sweat was because it's fucking hot out. We was just in the ring working and we worked our ass off. You know, he has a baby suplex and I'd pick him up and give him a big ass fucking suplex. You know, he'd give me yo Iggy, you know, like, ah oh, fuck, you know, so, and Bobby's a pretty straightforward guy. You know, he wouldn't cuss at you, but he'd give you that look like, yeah, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but I always liked Bobby. Uh, in fact, I love Bobby. He's one of the guys that. When I see him or I talk to him on the phone, I always tell him because our business is, you know, forever changing and we're losing guys in this business. I always make sure I tell Bobby Fulton that I love him. So, and he always tells me at back and I know he means it. So, uh, yeah, number, number six there, Bobby Fulton. So with that said, let's go into our top five, Jeremy, on episode 18 of the bell to bell with Bobby Blaze podcast, the most underrated wrestler of all time. And coming at number five is who? Barry Windham. Big BW. God damn. So
0: I became aware of Barry, I don't know, right around the time that he was, I don't know, it would have been a little bit before he got into the Four Horsemen. Yeah. Um, And I remember the first thing I saw him do, and it might have been the first time I saw anybody do it, he was suplexing guys off the third turnbuckle. Mm. And I think they called it the Widowmaker or they called him the Widowmaker. I can't remember, but I know that word was used in conjunction. And I yep. watched that and I almost shit my pants with just like, <laughs> he's got to kill this guy. I don't <laughs> know how you get up from this move. I don't know how
1: the guy giving this move gets up from this move. think that um, what you're saying is absolutely 100% straight shooting that guy he just to me Barry just had an all man and he was he would put you on that rope the way he did it it just he would put the guy on the top rope is I think Orton had done Bob Orton Jr. had done that superplex and it was on the second rope but the way Barry done it I think the guy actually stepped all the way up to that top rope as he was bringing him over and Barry's like six six man you know yeah, he's and a big once man once he started filling out too he was just, like you said a big man that's exactly what I was going to say and I always thought and I know we're going to get controversy on this and that's fine Because we've already, some people have already mentioned this in one of our earlier podcasts when we've done our greatest rivalries and and things. And that's when uh, the Four Horsemen, that to me, when Barry was a part of it, that to me was my favorite version of the Four Horsemen, if you will. And it's Flair and Anderson and Tully and and, and, and big B.W. back there, you know, and of course with J.J. as the manager. But, uh, man, I've heard. So many times, just, you know, of course, you and I, are, we, we say it all the time. We're fans and I watch stuff, a lot of stuff that I watch and listen to, to interviews. Uh, I was listening to wrestling Memories, uh, a few years ago and, and, and one of the guests was, uh, JJ Dillon. And I thought it was great because he was talking about, you know, different, different people coming, went through the, um, the horsemen. And he was really putting over Barry Windham as an individual. And then I watched some YouTube stuff and Arn always puts over Barry, Flair always puts over Barry, everyone puts over Barry, you know. And, uh, I, I don't know. I know, I know you had, I guess, 80. If you watch some matches between probably 87 and 89, uh, don't know he went to NWA or excuse me went to WWF at that time, but I know he was NWA still. I'm not sure when he went up there as the Widowmaker, but he went and came back or something like. It. Anyway, we're run out time. Maybe eighty six through eighty nine. Man, if you watch any Barry Windham matches, you will not see a bad match. He is just phenomenal. He could drop kick, he could suplex. Like I said, he started filling out at that point. Good psychology, had that good look to him, and he worked as a face and as a heel. I think Flair might have turned on him there, and they done some things together. And I. Remember Barry, like, you know, bleeding and get clothesline over the top rope, and just the bumps he was taking was fucking phenomenal. And I know we're sitting here talking about how over he was, but the bottom line was, I still think he was underrated. I, so I'll leave it at that, and you fill a sense some more from your, your, your views of Barry.
0: <laughs> yeah, I kind of think Barry Windham was kind of a victim of timing more than anything else. Because, I mean, he won the NWA title, but the NWA title wasn't the NWA title anymore, you know?
1: Yeah, you've told me that before. I wasn't really, I don't really, why don't you tell me a little bit about that if you don't
0: care, if you have a minute? He, he beat the great Muda for the NWA title, uh, at Super Brawl 3. Okay. And he was champion from 93 to 94. So, but it was the early 90s was a down, down time for wrestling when not a lot of people were watching it. Um, and by this point, you know, the NWA title was starting to not mean as much. So he was kind of out there. He missed, you know, his time in the horseman. He was in during a good time to, you know, a good time for wrestling, but he was the second guy to come in as the fourth guy in the horseman.
1: Right, right. So he
0: kind of missed out there, you know. He, um, him and Mike Rotunda had a hell of a tag team. Oh, yeah. (laughs) But since the 80s, tag teams have been a spot of diminishing returns continuously. Yeah. Um, you know, every five years, the tag team division becomes less and less meaningful, probably starting in 85 or 86. So, you know, yeah, he was in a big tag team run with Mike Rotunda, but, you know, it, it didn't really hit. I mean, I think there yeah. were champs in a couple different places, too, but it was nothing. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. And then they take, you know, in the mid-90s, he rejoins the WWF, and they give him some shit, stupid gimmick as the stalker.
1: Yeah, yeah. I remember something about the like hide in a damn tree and yeah. camouflage or something. I, yeah, yeah. And, I and, mean, it was brief. It's brief.
0: And and they would say things like Barry Wyndham as the stalker character, so they were kind of using him to blow up K fable a little. I don't know, it was that was just fucking weird.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, well let's move on then unless Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't oh, mean that off. Say, I apologize.
0: And then they put him in the new blackjacks. Oh, with, that's uh, right. With yeah. JBL. And it just it was a time period where I think the Rough House Cowboy, thing, well, first off, they did that at the WWF, and you know how the WWF feels about Southern gimmicks.
1: Yeah. So, uh, yeah, believe me, I do.
0: So, <laughs> to them, a cowboy gimmick is kind of a horseshit comedy spot anyways, yeah. And, you know, the blackjacks work in the 70s and early 80s. They don't really work in the late 90s. You know, nobody, yeah. nobody right now wants to be a cowboy when they grow up, or, you know what I mean? Not nobody, but that's not like yeah. being a gunslinger isn't something you're, you know, you're spending your life thinking about. Right. So, yeah, I'm just, I think Barry Wyndham was just a victim of timing because he was a big, fu- look, in Florida, he was over as fuck.
1: Oh, fuck, yes. Yeah. Yes, I went, we talked off air a little I went back, and when I got down there to train, I went back and watched a lot of tapes and stuff, and now, of course, I went back again, as we've talked about off the air, where we're such fans, you know, you go, you read stuff, you all go look this up, and you, and you, you, you watch some of the stuff. He was, he was over huge in Florida. Yeah. You know, it's not, I, surpri- I tell you what, when I was out, Kendall, was over in Florida, like you wouldn't believe when I was down there. Yeah. It's just one of those things that I think, I think you really the big, broad picture once listening to you. And right. I forgot about that Blackjack. So I'm glad I let you finish that. That is, um, he might have just been a victim of timing, man. Everything was just, you know, some things happen to different people for different reasons. And it's not that Barry Wyndham didn't have the size, strength, talk, the talent, the look. He was just underrated. And maybe it all had to do with just the timing of every little gimmick that come along or every little push he started to get, you know. Yeah. And we'll go into that in just a minute with someone else. about so soon they start getting a push, you know, whatever happens, you know. But anyway, so I'm going to shut up about Barry unless you have anything else to say. Well, no, it's um... – I could probably,
0: I could probably dig into this topic for two hours,
1: so it's probably best to yeah, oh, move I know. on. I yeah, know. we had an agreement today. We're going to try to stay within our time restraints, and we're going to try to do that. With that said, let's move on to number four, and that's uh, William Regal. Is that correct?
0: Uh, or, or Sir William Regal? Sir William Regal, yes. Or, or Sir Stephen Regal? But not Mr. Yes. Electricity, Stephen Regal.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. Shout out to our commissioner. We haven't heard from him for a while, but shout out to him. Yeah. Yes. Uh, William Regal or Steve Regal. Um, what a, to me, man, what a tremendous talent. He just, I just always think he's underrated. Um, he is underrated. I always, I always loved his workability. It's incredible, incredible workability. I know there's a story that I've probably shared it before, but him and Robbie Brookside got in the ring down at the um, power plant. And they went about 45 minutes, didn't speak, and people thought they were shooting, you know. And uh, now I wasn't there. It's so just secondhand. Next day, getting on a plane and people talking about it, you know, we got to the town. I said, yeah, them because they're English. They, they fucking work together since so they were probably 14, 15 years old, you know. Yeah. And they can work. That's called working. Didn't mean to get excited there, but that's what it's called. It's called working. And, and William Regal could fucking work, man. He could wrestle. And he could shoot, and he could work, and I just always no matter what what is what was sir with the blue bloods and 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 take him you know from that to with everyone he worked with, he always just had really, really good matches, even the t v matches that he had uh that were like you know you get a minute for your music, a minute for your music, and three minutes of action, he would make those interesting, you know at yeah. three minutes, whether he went over or not, it didn't matter. He shined, man. He shined. Well, he
0: he was a master of something that's hard to do. One of my favorite things about him was when he looked at the crowd or looked at other people, it, he looked at them in a way that said, you smell like shit. And it was yep. clear on his face that he just, like, you were repugnant and you stunk and you needed to <laughs> step back from him. Yep. And that is just a masterful thing. It, it's something that, okay, so I'm I'm going to diverge for a second. Heels or guys who want to be heels, you need to go watch William Regal as a heel.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: If you're not getting over as a heel, it's because you haven't watched William Regal. The fucking audience hated him, and he hated them, and he made it clear, and that was perfect. He was a great technical wrestler. He was a master of the European uppercut, which I love that. Yeah, a move that gets that is severely overlooked. He's also a hell of a lot younger than you think he is. Yep. In the 90s, he was still, like, very young, and he, he's one of those guys is like Arn Anderson. He's always looked 45.
1: Yeah, know? he did. He always did. I always thought he was older than what he was when I knew yep. him. But, you know, he he was a big fan, from my understanding, of the English comedy and mm-hmm. the um, the pantomime, if you will, and, and I'll, I can go off and and i could be bobby the anti Mind blaze all of a sudden but i won't today because we're we're really getting william. into this yeah we're getting into this we're getting into our time frame yeah. here but but william regal he, and he has a book i think it's called walking the golden mile and i read it a few years ago it's a really good book and it talks about his early days it's not a wwf book uh... you know sponsors actually his book and it's called walking the golden mile if i'm not mistaken but look it up it's a really good wrestling book talking about behind the scenes how he got started over in england all through WCW. I'm not so sure that it goes into the WWF. It may. But it's a really good book. But Steve Regal, William Regal, um, Sir William Regal, whatever, what a tremendous talent he he was or is in his professional wrestling business. Because you still, if you catch one of his talks or his interviews, I think he's on Stone Cold. Uh, he's got a good Twitter. I think at Real World, I can't remember exactly what it is, but he's got some really good stuff out there that he puts out there, especially for young, aspiring wrestlers. Anything he says, take it, listen to it, and run with it. And let me say this, man. You done brought it up. That European uppercut, I don't know that anyone done it any better. It was, yeah. it was phenomenal. phenomenal. It really was. Yeah.
0: That was number William Regal. four, William yes.
1: Regal. Uh, and That's before we come. get into our top three, yeah.
0: I want to remind everybody, you can get Bobby's book, Pin Me, Pay Me, by going to tinyurl.com slash blaze book one and you get his other book i kicked out on to the education of a wrestler by going to tinyurl.com slash blaze book two it'll take you right to amazon i get a couple pennies for selling it to you and bobby gets a couple pennies for for having written it. it's a great way for you to support the show and hear more of bobby's stories that being said bobby let's go to our top three and why don't you tell us who number three is
1: Yes, number three, one of my all-time favorite people in the world of professional wrestling and all-time people in the world, and that's beautiful Bobby Eaton. Man, was he underrated or what? Because he is fucking talent.
0: Bobby Eaton is one of those guys, like I was saying how musicians love bands like Rush and Dream Theater. Bobby Eaton is a wrestler's wrestler. Fans appreciate them, wrestlers appreciate them, and most people forget about them who aren't like day in, day out 100% wrestling fans every every wrestler, manager in ring official that you hear talk about Bobby Eaton only has positive
1: things to say about him. I've said it before and I'll say it now if you find me anyone in the wrestling business that ever had one thing bad to say about Bobby Eaton, I personally stick my size 13 shoe up their ass because you won't He is just such a complete fucking gentleman, a nice guy. Uh, I got the privilege of spinning. I I, I wrestled with him one of my earlier matches back. I'd met him years and years ago as a fan uh, when I was first breaking in. Then I got to wrestle with him in Smoky Mountain as one of the – uh, early opponents that jim Cornette put me with and how can you not get over when you're out there with bobby eaton working a fucking match you know and all you got to do is shut up and listen kid you know because mm-hmm. bobby Eaton's a professional professional and then i got to be with him in vancouver uh we were in ea sports we got to be on a video called mayhem it was ea sports first uh, wrestling game they ever did, did rather excuse me they of course they done a NASCAR, an nascar ncaa and a hockey and a the soccer and all those, but they hadn't done wrestling yet. And while I was in WCW, I got to go up there and do the motion capture with them. And so Bobby Eaton, myself, Lashley, and Sergeant Buddy Lee Parker, we spent about close to 30 days in Vancouver living in, in these he's uh, big ass townhouse. we all had our own town. EA Sports treat us very, very nice the whole That's time we nice. was there first class. Yeah. Limos every morning. Hate to brag, man, but I was just telling us one, you know, they pick you up at eight 30 and they brought you back at five 30. You work from nine until five every day. And they had a, you know, union up there. So yep uh we had to, you know, go abide by their schedule. But man, to spend those times with Bobby every evening, uh, you know, having dinner or having a couple uh cocktails or drink or what have you and just talking to him. I mean it just it's, man, he was so nice to everyone. The the limo from the limo driver to the producers to to all the ways and I never forget Bobby just you know, I asked him about that one time. I've asked him since then. And he's just so humble, but I say, you know, Bobby, why, why are you so nice? How are you so nice to everyone? And this, this lesson stuck with me and and it has to this day. And and we've got a couple inside jokes and Bobby will say one to me and I know exactly what he's going to go as soon as I saw saw him in May and I I think I put that picture up there. But anyway, great guy. But it, but, uh, but I, but when he told me, he said, well, Bobby, to me, he said, it doesn't cost anything to be nice to someone and i said yeah and he he, and he went in a little bit of detail about this about like when you think about it it doesn't it doesn't cost anything to be nice to anyone you know to someone no and uh, that's just his attitude man he's just a great guy And besides that uh all the wrestlers loving him his talent in the ring man that alabama jam alabama jammer the knee the the leg the stuff he done off the top rope uh he was one of the first early flyers in the wrestling business i even asked him about that how that felt you know and he was like, Oh, I just saw something. I'd try it, you know. And and I've heard Cornette go off on him about, you know, like, you know, Bobby's just one of them guys. He could do this bump and do that bump. And if you saw something, oh, I think I'll try this. He'd do it, you know, and just a talented, talented guy. And I could go on and on, just like you could about Barry back there. I could go on and on about Bobby, but I'm going to, I'm going to shut up about Bobby and just say, Hey, man, I, I love Bobby. Uh, Eaton, what a great talent he was, but he's also one of the most underrated professional wrestler of all time, in my opinion. That's why he comes at number three for me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Also, he had the mightiest mullet ever, or <laughs> some might call it a Kentucky waterfall.
1: Oh, God. Well, Ricky Morton's still sporting his mullet. And he's proud of it. Uh, but uh, Bobby Eaton also had the best punch in professional wrestling. So there you go. How about that? That's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, right. that Kentucky waterfall. The Kentucky
0: waterfall. Yeah. Oh, I went looked geez. up a list of uh, a list of other names for a mullet today just to find that one.
1: Okay. Well, I like that one. Yeah. Remind me to tell you about my mullet story that happened to me in uh, Sa- uh, Sa- Sandusky, Ohio. <laughs> okay. I <laughs> was well, working for Cleveland All Pro. Remind me to tell you that story. But yeah, Bobby had a pretty damn good mullet back in the day. So That's- with that said, let me say this. With well, Bobby coming in at number three, these top three could have probably been interchangeable. Oh, you could have uh, put them in depending. any order. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to put that out there. We do that sometime as a disclaimer, but, uh, we, we, I feel, I feel really good that Bobby is a solid number three, which is going to lead us to number two. And that is Mino Delinko, Dean Malenco, mean Delinko, the man of a thousand holds, man. I can't mm-hmm. say enough good things about Dean Malenko. I know he was wrestler of the year in 1997, but what people don't understand, he had been in the wrestling business for like 18 years before he got a big break. He was a, he was a big star in Japan. Uh you know, he he started my training after about 4 months four or five months into my training, Dean kind of took over. We become friends. We're close in age, give or take a couple of years. And I always say it, give or take, because I don't want to stooge him out that yeah, yeah. that I might be, I'm a little bit younger um, anyway. Uh <laughs> The Dean Dean's done stuff for WWF back in the day, like man uh, not Mandy shit, refereeing when it comes to Tampa some. Uh he done a lot of different things uh for for NWA stuff that was off TV because and I asked him about it because I wasn't up to the business back. I'm like, you know, hey, why aren't you on that show? Why are you why are you refere you know? But it's a paycheck and I understood that, but he said because you know, he can't go on TV and he was making killer money back in the day, him and his brother over in Japan, he said, I can't go on TV and get beat here to expect to keep my contracts in Japan. So even though he had some good connections with those companies, because they knew who he was, he couldn't just go on TV and, and wrestle and get beat, but he could, you know, work some independent days for him as an independent contractor and do, um, you know, some refereeing or uh, maybe book some guys to do TV jobs and that type of thing. So Dean always had his finger in the pot, if you will, stirring a little bit, keeping the interest out there. But um, with that said... Dean to me, I said it. I was in Australia and I looked at the referee and Dean was in the ring ref- wrestling with another referee, obviously, in wrestling, uh, Chris Benoit, I think it was. Yeah. I just looked at Frankie Reyes, who was from Florida. He's a Malenko guy. He was a good friend with Larry, a little bit older than Dean and myself. And, um, I looked at Frankie and I said, man, my God, is, is Dean Malenko the most underrated wrestler in the world right now or what? And Frankie said, man, Bobby, I've said it for years. And this was 93 and, um, and, and Dean to me, there's nothing he could or could not do in a ring. He, he he was. I'll say this about him, and I'm going to say it about someone else in just a minute, and that is this. If Dean Walenko's personality, because I'm going to let you finish up Dean, otherwise I'll ramble on too long about Dean. Sure. If Dean's personality, because he had a great body, Dean could. He was so. You would not. Dean had that fucking tendon ligament strength, too, by the way. He had a lot of. He was a shooter, and, and he, he did some different stuff. I mean, he could work. But Dean had a good body. And Dean could work. But if Dean's personality, that held him back a little bit because of the personality that you saw on the back, off camera, riding around with, at a Hooters or at a restaurant or just, just on a bus with, Dean would just bust your gut with just funny, smart witticisms, very educated, very worldly. And, um, man, if he could have, if he could have portrayed that on the TV with his interviews and stuff, it's hard telling what he would have been able to do, especially once they got to the WWE up there, WWF, whatever the fuck is I always say that. But anyway, my point is, if he could have conveyed that off camera, his 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 real personality onto camera, it's un it's unreal. But even though he was wrestler of the year ninety seven and world traveled, worldwide famous and all that, I still think Dean Malenko is one of the most underrated professional wrestlers of all time and I'll shut up. Yeah, well, I was just gonna say, for my money. He is the greatest technical wrestler to have ever
0: appeared on television. Mm. Um, I, I could watch that guy. Look, back in the nineties, I said him and one other guy I said they are the future of pro wrestling. You know, neither one turned out to be true. I think the problem was like, and you've told me before, like, if you talk to Dean Malenko, you've told me he's the funniest son of a bitch in the room. <laughs> he's got a cutting wit. He can turn a phrase. I think the problem was you put a mic in front of him and he just, it didn't come across. No. I think it's just one of those things. It just, it didn't carry well. I think Dean Malenko is a fucking major talent. I think he is one of the most overlooked person easily. Like we said before, he could be my number one on this list easily. Yeah. And when they got him to the WWE, they just didn't know what the fuck to do with him there either. So it was just right. one of those things that, you know what he is? He's the perfect guy gene wrestler in Japan. Yeah, He he doesn't have to talk. All he's got to do is put your ass. Yeah, that's really, yeah. All right. Well, Bobby, we're going to run about a minute or two over here, but let's let's move on to number one, Brad
1: Armstrong. Right on, Brad Armstrong. Nothing but respect for Brad. and, and, And Dean or Bobby Eaton could have been up here, but we decided to go with Brad as our number one. And Brad was just a phenomenal worker, I mean, in the ring, that guy, he had a great fucking physique. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he had a good interview, it was a little bit Southern, but it was okay for, for regional wrestling. Let me just say this, as continuing on as we did with Dean, not to take anything away from Brad. Brad was one of the most funniest, wittiest guys outside the fucking ring. You don't want to be around, happy-go-lucky. And he just couldn't convey that on the TV when it come time for interviews. So so Brad, uh, but as far as work goes, man, I said it before, I saw him and Flair, you know, uh, wrestle at a damn uh, worldwide taping, the, mo- the least watched TV program out there, you do three months at a time. He went, you know, they went about a 10-minute match in front of about 300 people, because that's all the Universal Studios held for those tapings, and they worked like this in front of 10,000 fucking people at a mania or something, it's him and Flair. And Brad was just one of those guys, man, great body, great fucking worker, great fucking guy, just always, always underrated in my opinion. I'm going to shut yeah. up and let you say a thing or two, and then I've got one more thing to say about Brad, then, I, then we'll get ready to get off this podcast. But coming in for number one, per Jeremy and myself, is Brad Armstrong. So go ahead, Jeremy. And well, I'll yeah, it's Brad
0: Armstrong is from a wrestling legacy family. He's from a dynasty, Bullet Bob, uh, just so many members of that family are integral to wrestling. I think Brad is a victim of timing, but in a different way. Like, if, if Brad Armstrong had been around in the seventies, like he was in the eighties and nineties, I think he would have been a major star with a, uh, you know, a, a number more of title wins and yeah. probably could have toured, he could have toured the South, all over the South and the uh, mid, mid Atlantic without a problem. He would have yeah. been a fucking star if he had just been around 10 years before. Yeah. Um, Unfortunately, you know, he was around during the Jim Herd days, you know, uh, fucking dress him up like the Candyman and fucking Spider-Man. And here's the thing, you could tell just because Brad Armstrong kept doing it, it's more than just getting a paycheck. He was there for the fucking business as well as the paycheck. Yeah. He is somebody from a wrestling family. He, he wanted to do for wrestling what wrestling had done for his family. I'm sure he had a great look. He's a great worker. He was skilled. He was, he was fast. It, it's just unfortunate that he, he was there in the time that he was. He is so underrated. Yeah. I would say overall the Armstrong family is underrated as well
1: yeah I agree with that uh you know I still talk to Scott uh sometimes through Twitter and also Brian they one of them. Well, i think both of them are producers now with the w w e uh don't hear too much from Steve. I haven't heard anything from him for a while of course bullets the the father they was always such a good good family to me always so kind to me. I used to be the Armstrong brothers' family driver sometimes. We all used to go out and have a good time every once in a while, and thank goodness we all outgrew that and, and, and got our shit together. Um, I'll just leave it at that because I don't want to talk out of school. But uh, with that said, you know, every time it seemed like Brad would just start to get a push on something, like you said, it's just all timing. Sometimes we talked about Arachnoman Man last week. Mm-hmm. It's like one of those things, and you can go back and listen to that podcast. All of them are out there. Uh, we always post them up on Twitter at the Bell to Bell with Bobby or Bell to Bell Blaze podcast on Twitter or go to the Geekish cast or Bobby Blaze 744 on Twitter and we repost some of those old episodes. And last week's episode, we talked about Arachnid Man. It's one of the, sometimes it's timing, sometimes it's a gimmick. But the thing about Brad was, no matter what it was, he was going to work it, work it to the best of his ability and he just loved the wrestling business and had that, had all that talent had that look and stuff. But just sometimes you're just a victim of circumstance. Like you mentioned hurt or whatever. Sometimes things come in and just, uh, uh, one of the last things I remember he'd done there, They put a wig on him, and he was buzzkill or something to try to do a road dog gimmick. Well, he wasn't road dog. You know, he wasn't some hippie out there with a black wig. I remember Medusa did the um, uh, German suplex on him in a ring, and a damn wig rolled off. You know, after three, Brad rolled off and put it on. I don't know if you recall that, but it's out there. And uh that's the thing, is he's just there, but he he needed to be Brad, you know? Yep. And he was just underrated. One of the true talents of this professional wrestling business was was Brad Armstrong. And so if you don't care, Jeremy, I'm just going down through ten through one real quickly with Brad Armstrong coming in at number one. This was episode eighteen of the Bell to Bell with Bobby Blaze podcast. The most underrated wrestlers of all time. We had number ten, Mike Awesome, followed by Dustin Rhodes, number eight was the late, great Buddy Landell. Number seven was Sean Waltman. Number six, fantastic Bobby Fulton. Coming in at number five was Big B.W. back there, Barry Windham. Number four, Sir William Regal. Number three, the beautiful one, beautiful Bobby Eaton. Number two, Dean the Machine, Mino DeLinco, Dean Malenko. And coming at number one was Brad Armstrong. So, I hope you liked our list this week. Jeremy, I'm going to let you take us out of here, brother, unless you have anything else to say.
0: Nope, I'm good. It was a fantastic list. I feel really good about this episode. And we're more or less on time, so I don't want to run on at the mouth. So, Bobby, thank you for joining me. It's been a pleasure as always. My pleasure. Listeners, thank you for listening. We do appreciate you taking the time to listen to us, one of the most underrated wrestling podcasts on the planet. (laughs) So for for Sir Robert of Smedley, Bobby Blaze, <laughs> I am Lord Jeremy Vilmer.
1: How dare you get me a pop at the end of an episode? How <laughs> <I> dare you.
0: <laughs> bye bye, everybody.